phone call the other day. Follow up to a COVID positive COVID test in December. Really on top of things here in the state of Georgia. I was answering the lady's questions. She was following up on kind of the outcome and things. And was talking about the fact that we had a handful of folks that were sick. And we were thankful that, you know, for that first wave that happened in the church and those that got sick came through it. I said, God's been good to us. And she said, all the time. That's my kind of phone call. God has been good to us all the time. Oh, we might say, well, I've had some accident happen to me. And all through things didn't want to go through. Maybe you don't even feel like things are all that good right now. But I've come to tell you, God's still good. Because no matter if this world ever gives you anything else worth having, some sweet day, we're going to go to be with the Lord. In the place the Bible teaches us, there's not going to be any more crying, not going to be any more sorrow, there's not going to be any more pain. I think there's a little church in the house and we're looking for a day where there's not going to be any more pain in the body. Life will never end. Every one of us right now has an appointment with death, but days coming when there'll be no appointments. Amen. God is good all the time. If you have your Bibles, just want to read you one verse. I've already read to you a couple times. Proverbs chapter 20. Read it last week, so I'll bring it back around this week for you. Proverbs chapter 20 kind of explains why we're talking about what we are. Verse 24 says, Man's goings are of the Lord. You just think you know what you're doing. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand? There's only one way. There's only one way to know the way. You've got to know it from God because your way is of the Lord. And let's, let's, let's lift up our hands and voices and praise Him one more time. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for the high privilege and honor we have simply to stand in this house, to lift up our hands and our voices, to entertain the presence of God. Lord, oh, we are a blessed people. We are an honored people. Lord, oh, we are a great people, not because of us, but because we serve the great God. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated and think of the standing of the Word of God. Man's going through the Lord. So how can a man understand his way? Well, you want to know what's supposed to happen next in your life. You want to know what's going to happen next in your life. You've got to seek the Lord for it. Man's, what man's goings are of the Lord. So over the past three, three lessons, messages, uh, opportunities to be together, we talked about first and foremost, you've got to hear the voice of God. That's really what these first three weeks have been about. You've got to learn to hear the voice of God. And you and you start out learning that simply by having a conversation with 
know, you generally have to talk to somebody for them to talk back. I know you know folks that that's not a requirement. But nonetheless, in general, conversations are two ways. And so if you want to get to know the voice of the Lord, then you're going to have to talk to Him, and you're going to have to listen to Him. And the thing that we do that is talking and listening to God is prayer. You must have a prayer life. You will not make it to heaven without a prayer life. You'll not make it to Monday without a prayer life. And so if you pray and you seek the voice of God, the Lord will speak to you in a way that you understand, in a way that you can comprehend. The second thing uh, that we have to help us understand what's next, to help us hear the voice of God, is we have His Word. We have His written Word. We have His voice in black and white in the pages of our Bible. We have divine direction for every situation in life right here in the Bible that you and I have. And an important thing to remember about the voice of God is that He will never, ever speak anything that contradicts His word. If you heard a voice, I don't care how angelic it may have seemed, I don't care how supernatural it may have occurred, it just don't matter. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it wasn't the voice of God. The Apostle Paul says that any other man, if even an angel comes and preaches anything else to you than what you've been preached, let him be cursed. God's voice never speaks in contradiction to His Word. So, if I learn the Word of God, if I get in it, if I read it every day, if I, if I study it, if I dig in the Word of God, then I'm going to be able to start discerning between all these voices in the world that are not God. Because if it doesn't line up, the Bible says, let God be true. Every man alive, His Word is right, and He will never speak in opposition to it. Last but not least, last week we talked a good bit about the man of God in your life. And I know there's more than one of them on a regular basis, but, but the man of God in your life, God put the ministry in the church. God put the five-fold ministry in the church to teach, to preach, to direct, to guide, to prophesy, to do all those things to, to equip us for the work of the ministry, to equip us to be witnesses for Him, to equip us to get from here to heaven. But the only way that's helpful to us is if we submit to it. It doesn't do any good to hear voices that we ignore. There's all, all of us have voices in our life that we ignore. There, there are folks that tell us and give us free advice all the time, and we just walk on and go on about our business because they uh, follow their advice. But it's different when you choose to submit to somebody. When you submit to somebody, you are looking to them as that messenger of God, that, that person that God is going to use to speak into your life. But you've got to submit to it. So tonight I want to take you to the book of James, chapter 1. And we're going to quickly jump all the way back to just a couple of verses in the book of Genesis, chapter 5, uh, because we're just going to kind of keep plod down this road. We're going to get to the next natural progression. We've talked for, for three weeks about the things that you need to do to be able to hear the voice of God. You've got to pray, you've got to get into His Word, and you've got to be submitted to the spiritual authority in your life. If you're missing one of those things, you're going to get off track. No matter which one you pick, you're going to get off track. 
You can read the Bible 15 times through the year and get off track because you didn't pray about it. And you misread, you misunderstood. There's going to be times you're going to read things in Scripture. There's going to be times that things that you felt like you felt in prayer, but they don't line up with what the man of God in your life has told you to do. You're going to get off track and you're going to get in the wrong direction. So tonight's going to be a little bit different, but by the time you're done, I hope that you see that it all kind of flows together. James chapter 1 and verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only to learn how to hear the voice of God, but there's something else that's involved. You've got to take what you hear and you got to do it. Now, the women who look at Genesis chapter 5, uh, a, a character that only shows up really a couple places in Scripture, we know very, very little about him, but he was a pretty interesting guy, considering he was one of very few in all of human history that did not die. about four or five chapters at least on somebody that did not die, but you know. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 23 says, And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and you thought you felt Verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God took him. He was Translated. That's the high blue word that's used to describe that. One day he was walking on the earth, and then in the next moment, he was not there. How did God do it? I don't know. He's God. He didn't tell us. But the Bible tells us that he walked with God, and then one day, he was gone. He left this natural world, and, and we would assume that he is with the God that, that he pleased. But very specifically, I want to draw your attention to the fact that it says that he walked with God. He walked with God. Now, embedded in this whole idea of hearing from God and hearing His voice and hearing His word is an important and an essential principle to serving God. You must walk in what you hear. You must do what you hear. It's not enough to hear from God. There are a lot of people that hear from God when the preacher preaches. They're sitting on that pew and they know that he's ringing their bell and he's preaching to them. <laughs> there's plenty of folks that read their Bible and there's times they read their Bible and those scriptures they know are speaking to them. Of course, you know, all of them technically are. All of them are speaking to us. They're hearing the voice of God through his word. There are times when people pray. They get down on their hands and knees and they lift those hands up in the air and they hear from God. But then you must do it. The prophet Jonah, many times in his life, undoubtedly heard the voice of God. But when the voice of God spoke and said, go to Nineveh, Jonah had other ideas and got himself in trouble with God and almost cost himself his life, and we really don't know whatever became of the prophet Jonah, but it didn't look all that good at the end of the book. A man 
would not do it. He would not obey it. You must obey the voice of God in your life for it to have any effect. You must walk with God. It's not enough to hear. You must walk with God as well. This is really what this, this series is all about. I, I've got to know where to go. I've got to know how to get from point A to point B. Where does God want me to go in my life? I first got to hear Him. I've got to know what He wants. I've got to understand what He wants me to do. But then I've got to walk with Him. I've got to walk with Him. The, the Hebrew word that is translated walk there uh, is halakha. And it simply, in one sense of the word, means to walk or to behave the way in which you live, the things that you do. Uh, what's also interesting, another part of this definition is to be conversant. So you're not just walking, but along the way you're having a conversation. You're engaged with them. And this, this all flows together. You're not just hearing the voice of God, but as God's talking, you're walking. You've had conversations like that before. You've had conversations where you didn't have enough time just to stand around and shoot the breeze for 50 minutes, so you say, come on, walk with me. I got somewhere I got to go. We're going to have this conversation along the way. There's nothing different about that than your walk with God. And I found in my life that God's always doing something. He never sleeps. The one who watches for Israel never sleeps. He, he's always creating. He's always working. He's always moving. So if you want to be where God's at, you better learn to walk. You better learn to keep on going because every time we we stop and stand still, God gets ahead of us. We, we need to catch up. You know, the Israelites were standing at the Red Sea wondering when in the world God was going to perform a miracle. And God speaks to Moses and said, why are y'all standing around? Go. Go. Can't even talk that way. Go forward. Tell them to go forward. We must walk with God. Another place that you'll find this word is in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 where Adam and Eve have now sinned and the Bible says and they heard the voice of the Lord they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. They heard his voice walking. He figured that out. They heard the voice of God walking in the garden. I, I don't know what it was they saw on a regular basis. I don't know if they saw what's called a theophany. I don't know if they, they saw some form that God took with their eyes. I have no idea. The scripture's not that clear. I don't know exactly how they interacted with God on a daily basis, but I know that they knew His voice, and His voice was described as walking. When God speaks to us, He expects motion. When God instructs us and directs us and tells us the way He wants us to go, He wants us to go. Why were they hiding? the voice of God walking in the garden because they had sinned. They were ashamed. They realized that they could not walk with God like they once walked with God. But you and I can take our sins and plunge them under the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And we can put on His righteousness by being filled with His Spirit. So that you and I can walk with God. And if His coming is as soon as we believe, there's going to be some of us that are going to be just like Enoch. That one day we were, and the next day we're not. Because our appointment with death got canceled when the trumpet sounded and God called the church out of this world. But the only way you get off the earth and into the heavens to be with God is if you learn to walk with Him. You cannot just hear His voice. There are going to be countless millions that have had the Bible preached to them their entire life, and they're going to be left behind when God comes because they never chose to do it. They never chose to walk in it. God doesn't just speak. He always does what He says. That's why His Word can be depended on. Because once He says it, nothing can stop it from happening. We see that in the very first book of the Bible. God spoke the world into existence. They had no alternative. There was nothing in the universe that could have prevented light from appearing when the voice of God says, let there be light. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what it looked like. I just know that in the moment that he said it, all of the universe had to respond in obedience. Then you remember, he didn't create us by speaking. So you and I don't do what we're told forever and ever, amen, just because God said so. He created us with power to choose. He created us with a free will. So you and I must live by the word of God every day. That's why it's got to be preached to us. That's why it's got to be taught to us. That's why we've got to read it to us. We gotta eat it for ourselves if we want to survive. The only way we're ever going to please God is we have to consciously make choices to be doers of the word. Interesting thing here, if the Hebrew words interest you, uh, that same word walking uh, is what helps to produce the word halakha, which is translated generally as Jewish law. Ever looked up anything about you know Hasidic Jews or Orthodox Jews? You may have seen that word. It's the word that's used to describe the, the full body of Jewish law, all of the scriptures and all the commentaries and all those things. But what's interesting about it is that a more literal translation of that word simply means the way to behave or the way of walk. That's what our scripture is. It's the way of walking. The very first Christians in the New Testament were not called apostolics. They weren't called Pentecostals. They weren't called holy rollers. They were called those of the way. The right way. The only one way that there is to walk holy before God. So what does all this tell us? It tells us it's not just in knowing the word. And it's not just in hearing the voice of God that we please him. Or that we end up where we're supposed to end up is because we know where we're supposed to go. It's whether or not we walk in. It's whether or not we do what God says, what God speaks. So let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is always a good book to try to wrap these Old and New Testament things together and put a bow around them. 
Hebrews chapter 11. I know most of you are going to recognize what that chapter is all about. There's a whole lot of faith in that chapter. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. So now we're seeing that you know, faith is the way we got to please God. Faith is the way we got to walk in God. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God more excellent sacrifice than came, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he be dead yet speaking. And now we find our friend again in verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, before he disappeared from the human race, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's what this is all about. That's what we're trying to hear the voice of God for, is so that we know what He wants us to do to please Him. Because if we please Him, we're going to get out of here one day. If we please Him, He's coming back to take us to Himself. And this was Enoch's testimony, that he walked with God. And that was pleasing to God. And verse 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is. Well, where do we get he is? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. We, we know that he is one. We must believe that he is. But it's not done. And it says, and. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Which is why the Shema is not finished when it tells us that there's one God. It also instructs us that we must love that God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. What does that mean? It is not enough to hear. It is not enough to know the voice of God. It is not enough to come to church on Sunday and have a supernatural experience and you know everything God wants you to do for the next six days. You must walk out the doors of this place and on Monday morning, every aspect of your life must display that you love God with all of your heart and your mind and your strength. You must do it. Salvation is not in the hearing. It's not in the knowing. It is in the doing. The Bible teaches us there's only one God. You have to know that. But the Word also teaches us that connected to that is that there must be obedience to it. You can't just know there's a God. You have to obey the God. Now, I've heard countless people, and I'm not trying to be you know, insulting here, but countless people that and they knowingly don't make any attempt to serve God, but they constantly acknowledge that He's there. You know, the good Lord this, and the good Lord that, and the man upstairs this, and the man upstairs that. And again, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just saying there, there, there are billions of people that acknowledge a higher power, but they do nothing about it. It doesn't direct their life. It doesn't matter that the 
be the right thing for you to be able to steal from somebody. You know, there are those that have been warned at times, don't marry that girl. Then they went off and married that girl. But what difference did it make? For them to hear the voice of God, whether it was in prayer, whether it was in the Word, whether it came from the man of God, if they weren't going to do it. You have to obey. The next verse says, by faith knowing. It starts rattling off examples of faith. And it's interesting that faith is always involved with doing things. You're not saved by your works, but if you've got some faith, you're going to have some works. I mean, Brother James already said it. He said, you know, I'll show you my faith by my works. You, you say you have faith and don't do anything all you want. How do you want to prove it? Let me prove it to you. By faith, no being warned of God of things not seen as yet. God spoke to Noah and told him something was going to happen, something that would destroy the earth. The earth is going to be destroyed by water. He spoke to Noah and instructed him, and the Bible says he was moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he heard the voice of God. He was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obey. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs were given the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, now we could just keep on reading the rest of this chapter and shout a little bit. Maybe y'all ain't read it, but I'm pretty sure this is one of the easiest chapters in the Bible to shout. But there's something I want you else, something else I want you to see about hearing God's voice and following that and, and being able to walk in it that I think is going to be very, very helpful to you. So let's think about scripture in, in general. Let's just think about the Bible as a book. You know, we read it from chapter to chapter and book to book. That, that's how we read it. Now, you may have different reading plans that, that jump you around and skip you around a little bit, and that, that's all fine and dead. I just started at the beginning and read. But, so there's nothing wrong with that if you have some plan that takes you through it a different way. But still, we read it from chapter to chapter and from book to book. And sometimes, because of that, because we're reading it like a book and we're not there, we're not living it, it leaves us with the impression that, that God speaks something to somebody today, and the next day it's happened. I mean, it sure looks like that in the New Testament. You read the book of Acts, this is like action, action, action. You know, miracles, signs, and wonders, and the Holy Ghost being poured out. It's like this. It looks like the whole thing is over in about three weeks. A whole lot of time. Just reading Scripture and not digging in there makes it seem like everything that God says just happens at the snap of a finger. But our life experiences teach us that it doesn't always seem to turn out that way. Now that's what we want, right? I mean, you, you, you've been praying hard and you've been studying the Word, you've been listening to the, the man of God to get direction in your life, and then you finally feel like you've got that direction. 
direction. You, you, you know what God wants you to do. You know what, what God's called you to do and where he wants you to, to, to move forward in your life. And so let, let's get it done. Let's get it on. You know, I, I, I'm kind of a problem solving type. I always have the right answer. But, but if there's a problem, I, I want there to be an answer. I just want to go fix it and get it done. I don't want to hang over my head. I don't want to keep thinking about it because I'll drive myself crazy. I just want to go get it done. And I sure wish God thought the same way as me sometimes. You know, because I pray about something, I just, I want God to move. I want God to act. But more times than not, the Lord does. We talked about a couple of men here in these first few verses. So let's talk about Noah. God spoke to Noah. Oh, Noah, there's going to be a great flood. I know you've never seen it rain, but it's going to rain. And boy, is it ever going to rain. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. It's going to cover the face of the whole earth. And any living thing that's not in this boat I'm telling you about is not going to make it. Noah, I want you to get busy building the ark. Yeah. Now, maybe God spoke to Noah every day. I don't know. Maybe in his prayer time, he felt like he heard God every day. I don't know. But there's nothing in Scripture that describes to us that God specifically spoke to him until it was time for the flood to take place. So he told Noah, build a boat, the flood's coming. And then we find in Scripture that he says, all right, Noah, get in the boat. Get in the boat and I'll close the door. Do you know how long it was believed to be between the time that he told Noah to build the boat and the time that he got in the boat? 120 years. I'd like to think I'm a little more patient as I've gotten older. And by that I mean, you know, if I've lost my mind after a couple of weeks, I feel like that's progress. 120 years. The whole while you're preaching to people about this great storm that's coming, the whole while you're breaking your back going out there building a boat, and not one raindrop has ever fallen from the sky for a hundred and 20 years. What if? What if God didn't speak between those times? What if there was no voice from heaven that boomed and said, this is what I want you to do now, Noah? What if all Noah got was build the ark? And I'll tell you when you get there. Read about Abraham. His name started out with Abram. God changed it to Abraham. God called him when he was 70 years old. Any of you seasoned saints and think that you can't do anything for God anymore? Well, I won't hear it. You might not get old Ruth when she was up anymore, but, but Abraham was, was 70 years old when God called him. He was 75 years old before he left the land of Haran. And there looks to be some time passing between the conversations that, that Abraham had with God. So God, he, he calls Abraham to leave his land. And then a few years later, when he finally leaves, God begins to speak to him again and tells him, I'm going to make of you a great nation. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Your nation's going to be, if you, if you could number the grains of sand by all the seashores, that would be how great your, your lineage, your family is going to be. All the while when God says this, they don't have any babies. They've never had any children. 
So it's it's already it's already past the time of life. I mean, they're already up there in years. I know they lived a little bit longer on average, maybe than some of us do, but still, they, it was was beyond their years. Bible teaches us that it, they were kind of past the opportunity to have children. So it was already going to take a leap of faith to believe God. It was already going to take a whole lot to believe God is going to take us two old folks and give us a son. You know how long it was after God told him that before Isaac was born? 25 years. You tell a 75-year-old man, you're going to have a son and you're going to have this great family. It's already a whole lot for him to believe that this is going to happen. But maybe they do. Maybe they think it's not been that many years. It's not really going to be that. God's just going to work this out. You know, it's like tomorrow. I'm going to be expecting next week. I'm going to be expecting just a couple of months. And, 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 and it looks just under a year from now, we're going to have a baby in the crib, and we're going to see the promises of God come to pass. And 25 years go by before Isaac ever was So what does this teach us about walking with God? It teaches us, number one, that God doesn't always do things as fast as we think He should. We are generally impatient people. I know some of you are more and less patient than somebody that might be sitting on the other side of the view from you. But on average, we are impatient people. And if we, even if we weren't all that bad years ago, we're certainly bad now because we're living in a country where, you know, if McDonald's takes more than five minutes, you've just about lost your home. If you get to Walmart and there's seven people in the line and you can tell it's the clerk's first day, you're having a hard time not being prayed back through by the time you get home. We are an impatient people, but God doesn't always do things. He rarely does things on the timeline that we think He should. Here's a scary scripture for you. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is when the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years in one day. Realize God can look at you and say, I'll take care of that tomorrow. Now, aren't we living in the last days according to Jesus? He said these are the last days. Didn't John, didn't Jesus speak to John at the end of the book of Revelation and say, I'm coming quickly? And yet quickly to God. It's almost 2,000 years ago. And yet God called that quickly. God called that just around the corner. Why is this relevant? Because God's not going to change the time He's going to do things in just for us. He's not going to change His will just because we're impatient about it. He's not going to decide, yes, you're right. You shouldn't have to wait until three years from now for that promotion. I'm going to give it to you today. Which is why you need to be careful at times when it seems like you get the things that you want because everything that we get in life, every destination that we end up in life, always be handed to us by God. Sometimes we heard from old voice, and we didn't vet it through his word and our prayer closet and our man of God. We didn't 
check all those boxes, and all of a sudden the thing we wanted to happen tomorrow happens tomorrow, and that wasn't God's timeline, which means God didn't give it to us. He's not going to change when he does things simply because we're having a hard time with patience. Because we're supposed to develop patience. Working. Walking. That's number two. We must be patient. We've got to be patient. I know it's hard, but Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, the prophet writes here, just a little bit about the, the nature of God. He says, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall fade and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We read that scripture. There's times we sing that scripture, and we get excited about the mounting up of eagles' wings. We get excited about the running and not being weary, and the walking and not faint. But the only way those things come if we're willing to wait on God. The scripture doesn't say you won't get faint and weary, but it says there'll be strength there in enough time when you get there. There's going to be times that you are at the end of your rope. But when you get to the end of your rope, God's hand's going to be there to grab hold of you. There's going to be times that the cupboard is empty, but when the cupboard finally runs empty, God's going to be there to put food back in front of you and give you strength again. And you'll never learn those things unless God makes you wait. Unless God teaches you patience. He teaches me patience. There's times that we hear from God. There's times that I, some, some of you can testify to this. You've had experiences in your life where you know God answers you. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you, you check all the boxes, you know this is the will of God. You felt like David. I can leap over the wall, I can run through a truth because I know the will of God. But as the days and the weeks and the months and sometimes the years roll on, all of a sudden you begin to doubt that thing you were so sure of. Did I really hear the voice of God? Was it really what you said? Because Surely, if I had heard from God, it would have happened already. I'm not saying we can't make a mistake and hear the wrong voice, but if we truly heard from God, God's as good as His Word. All the power of the universe hangs on it, which means if God said, I'm going to heal you of cancer, one day between here and glory, the cancer's going to be healed. If God said, I'm going to pay the debt, it doesn't matter how far it's past due, the day is going to come when God's going to pay the debt. But we have to learn to be patient. And being patient with God involves number three, which is trusting. We have to trust Him. 
and would have done make any sense. And we really wish you had not done it by now. And we really wish it wasn't as hard as what it is. We still trust him. That same example of Abraham. What did Abraham do? What did Sarah do when in the middle of waiting 25 years for Isaac to be born? Well, I wish I could say differently. The scripture shows us that they did not trust him. Sarah shows up with this wonderful idea of how about you just take my maid to be your wife as well and have a child by her because legally the child would be the child of Sarah. So to them, this situation seemed like it fit good enough into the will of God. But it wasn't the will of God at all. And today, in the year of our Lord, 2000. In 21, the Middle East is still perpetually on fire with violence, all because Abraham and Sarah, for just a little while, stopped trusting God and produced a son that to this day is trying to get back the birthright that God said doesn't belong to Israel. We better think twice about giving up on God performing His promises. If God said it, I believe it, that's it. That settles it. If God has spoken to you, if it lines up with your prayer, if it lines up with His Word, if it lines up with the man of God in your life, then take it to the bank. I don't care if it happens next week or the day before you draw your last breath. It's going to happen because God can be trusted. Man can't. I can promise you all day long, cross my heart, open the eye, stick a finger in my eye, have all the best intentions I could possibly have and still fail. But that can't happen with God. Because once God says it, it has to happen. We have to trust Him. Now get this promise now. Same man, same family. Genesis chapter 15. We've got past this Ishmael thing. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know the surety that thy seed, thy son, that this child going to have, Isaac, shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. It's talking about the nation of Israel going down into Egypt. He said, The days are to come when your family, that blessed seed, is going to be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and they shall serve the people that are there, and they shall be afflicted four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. I'm wondering if this, you know, I, I forget without flipping back to the pages as to whether this is the 75 or the 100 year old. I think it's the 75 year old. So, in this prophecy, 400 years. I mean, I know that Abraham is not so far removed in human history that he can't remember the stories of. 
of his forefathers that lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm not saying he thought this. The scripture doesn't say this. But I wonder for a second, maybe if God paused, maybe he's sitting there wondering. Verse 15 says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried good old age. God speaks to Abraham and tells him that he's going to deliver his seed from Egypt after over 400 years and after he dies. <clears throat> It's like God telling me that the zombie apocalypse is going to happen in 2024, but I'm dead in 2023. Why am I telling me? I'm not going to be here. Why did he tell me? It was his promise. It was his promise to his friend, to the patriarch of old. It was his promise to his people. And it leads us to number four. When God speaks to us and we begin to obey, we must keep walking in God's direction until he tells us otherwise. Now, maybe, I'm not dug deep enough in the Hebrew to know this, maybe when God said, thou shalt be buried in the good old age, maybe Abraham knew that that man had going to die first. We know it because we haven't been in the scripture that we know when he died. <laughs> country 
dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. Why? They live in tents. You can read the scripture, he became a ridiculously wealthy man. God blessed him abundantly, just like you said. He had flocks and herds and servants and soldiers and, and everything. Why did they live in tents? Why did they sell down? Why did they build Abrahamville? Why? He's got tons of money. He's got enough men. He can go conquer some small city and rename it after himself. Why did they dwell in tents? Verse 10 says, For he looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Why did he walk around in tents? Because he never found the city. But he kept on looking, and he kept on walking, and he kept on moving. When he felt like it was the will of God to move to the next place, he moved. When he felt like it was the will of God to stop, he stopped. But he never put down permanent roots. Why? Because he wasn't going to see him in that life. Why did the Israelites, when they were delivered out of Egypt, why did they dwell in tents in the wilderness? Because the wilderness was not their promise. That was not their final destination. Nobody lived in cities until they crossed over into Canaan land. I've come to tell you today, when God gives you marching orders, just keep marching. When God tells you to go, just keep going. It don't matter if you talk that Sunday school class for 25 years. It ain't nobody playing through. Come this Sunday morning, get back in there, open up that Bible, and preach it again. I don't care if you give a 1,500 Bible studies and nobody's been baptized. The next time you get an appointment, you open up that Bible and you teach the Word of God. When God gives you direction, keep going. Walking. I'm not talking about continuing to walk in sin and continuing to walk in foolishness when you realize that you're an error and you can go the wrong way. Get back on the right road. But when you know you're on the right road, just keep walking. Amen. You see, this is something that we struggle with because of that patience and because of that waiting thing. And there's times that we want God to reconfirm. What he's already said. Maybe every once in a while he does that for you. Maybe every once in a while he pats you on the back and reminds you that he told you that. But I'm just going to take my own life experiences. He don't do it to me that much. There's a handful of things in my life that I know I got divine perfection on. And I had to learn a long time ago that when I'm sitting around and I'm confused and I'm, and I'm struggling and I'm, I don't really understand why God hasn't done this and why this hasn't come to pass, God has to remind me, I told you where to go a few years ago. You just keep doing that until I tell you to change course. You just keep going in that direction until I tell you to do something different. I don't need the hot churches getting in different places. If God put me here, I need to stay here until he tells me to go somewhere else. I don't need to have a hundred thousand different jobs in the church. If God said do this, be faithful and do that until he gives you something else. Keep walking with God. Keep walking with God. 
13, the life of He's all died in the faith. Not having received the promises. Old chapel from folks, they didn't even get the promises. They never found the city either. But having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, they embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they deny of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them. Our heroes of faith died, never having seen whatever it was God showed them. I don't know this, but again, it's not there in Scripture. But reading this, it almost makes it seem like God might have showed them a little something. The Bible does say that He has put heaven in our hearts. We've never seen heaven. We've never been to heaven. But when you get the Holy Ghost, something happens on the inside of you. You wake up and realize one day that your citizenship down here is of little consequence to you anymore. You realize that you're here for a while. You gotta get up and go to work. You gotta pay the bills. You gotta eat two or three meals a day. You realize all that's gotta be done, but you're just passing through. The church has got to get back to living in tents, folks. I'm not talking about setting your house and giving away your car. If God says something good, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a mindset. This says, God, wherever you say go, I'm going to go until you come. Lord, whatever you say do, I'm going to keep working at it until you come. Lord, if I blow my last breath and I'll never see you in the church, if I blow my last breath, and I've never seen you still. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to teach Bible studies. I'm going to pray for my lost loved ones because God can be trusted. Would you stand on your feet? Would you lift up your hands? 